Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. My name is Angela Skirtu, and I am a licensed marriage therapist and an ASEC certified sex therapist. Today, our guest is Dr. Stacy Friedman, clinical sexologist and certified sex coach. Um, she is the founder of Creating Intimacy Coach, Inc., and she is author of the book, Confessions and Lessons of a Sexpert, The Ultimate Guide to Intimacy and Better Sex. Hi, Dr. Stacy. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing good this morning. Thanks for asking. Thank you for being on the show. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself, um, what you do, what makes you awesome? You know, the usual. <laughs> the usual, what makes me awesome? <laughs> yeah, what makes you awesome? It's always hard to talk about yourself, <laughs> but, um, but it's always good to have some self-confidence. Um, uh, my name is Dr. Stacy Friedman. I go by Dr. Stacy, and I'm a clinical sexologist and a certified sex coach. I do have a doctorate in human sexuality and a background in psychology. I also have been an ultrasound technologist for probably about 25 years. So I do have some of the medical background in addition to the uh, sexual background and the mental health background. So I kind of got a little bit of everything, which really helps me work with my clients. I have been doing the actual private practice for just over two years, but I've been in the sexuality field for about 14 Oh, okay. years. Cool. So, yeah, I absolutely love it. What kind of got you into the field? Like, you know, every everybody always wants to know, like, how in the world? Why'd you choose sexologist? Exactly. So how in the world did you end up there? Well, I always, I always like to see people's responses when, you know, when someone asks you, what do you do? And then you tell them that you're a sexologist. They kind of just look at you and just be like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> but I, ever since I can remember, since I was younger, I've always been very open-minded and very uh, flirtatious and just fun as far as when it comes to sex. I was never really shy. And I had my own personal uh, journey, which kind of made me realize there's not a lot of openness around the sex. And a lot of times I didn't have people to turn to. I didn't know who to talk to. And so I said, you know what? This is ridiculous. People are so hush-hush about the subject. What? Said, no, you know I've what? heard everybody's I... really cool about sex and talks about it every day with their kids, every right? Day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, people started coming to me when they realized that I could say the word penis and vagina without someone like going, oh, you know, laughing about it. Have you ever had so somebody people... whisper it in your office? Penis. <laughs> Okay. It's okay. You won't get struck um, down. All right, continue with your yeah, story. So what draw, drew you in then? So you were kind of open, and then what happened? <laughs> yeah, and so people were coming to me about all these different subjects. So I said, you know what? I enjoy talking to people and helping people. So I just thought, let me get into the field of psychology. But then I said, you know what? There's not as many sex therapists. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, who is Dr. Ruth Westheimer? I loved her. And I said, you know what? I want to be her. And so when I got older... I went on a path to be able to work with people and, and bring positive sexuality to the world. And I just kept on going for uh, as far as I can go. And there's always room for more education. But I just felt like this was my calling. You know, everyone was always telling me this is what you need to do. Excellent. So, so you've been doing it for a while. And I also heard that you actually, do you, you sell adult novelties? Is that correct? <laughs> Yes, I also sell the adult novelties. It's not my main part of my business, but when you're working with sexuality, a lot of times women especially get a little bit more nervous about trying it if they haven't, and men sometimes get intimidated because they feel like a toy is going to uh, take the place of them. So Is it I possible for that toy to take the place of them? <laughs> you know, 
what, unless they're not treating their woman right, no. <laughs> if anything, it's an asset. You know, if you work together to, um, you know, connect the right way, it can be a major asset to your relationship. So just educating men and women on toys and, of course, finding the right product for them I'm, you know, I have that availability for that. I'm really curious, you know, I, I, one of the reasons I wanted you on the show is because we haven't done a sex toy episode. And so I'm just for my listeners out there who've never bought a sex toy or doesn't eat, you know, like maybe they went into one store and the wall just freaked them out because <laughs> it's a very right. colorful big wall in those stores. What's out there for people to try and use? Oh my goodness. Where do I start? Well, let's start <laughs> with the beginner. <laughs> That's, that's another thing is that people do get intimidated to go to these large sex, top, sex to, uh, toy stores. I can't speak. <laughs> that's okay. Word vomit, um, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, they do get intimidated because you walk in and there's just walls filled of penises. <laughs> yeah, and they're all <laughs> so shaped very start. strangely, like dolphins and penguins. Like, why do all the sex toys right. have to look like animals? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And well, uh, one, to answer your question, actually, is... When you had phallic symbols, a lot of times they weren't able to go through customs properly. So oh. they actually had to change a lot of them to be animals so it would be more of a novelty and not an actual sexual object. I did not know that. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's why you have teddy bears and dolphins. And you're like, okay, I don't want a teddy bear down there. It's a little weird. But uh, I think that as a beginner, just something that vibrates, something simple for a woman, for a woman, such as a silver bullet. And all that is, is just like an egg shaped bullet, um, metal, or it can be covered in silicone with a wire or without a wire. And it just has a remote where it can either go on a low, medium, high, or you actually have one that is rounded that can go in all different speeds. You know, so it's not just like a button to push three different speeds or five different speeds. It's actually just a rounded disc that you can move. And something like that, something that vibrates just to begin to be able to explore and maybe use it on the clit and be able to have that feeling of what a toy is supposed to do, that's something simple to start with. How do you teach so like my guess is, you know, like we were just talking about that. They're, they're new people. They've never tried it before. And so how do you coach them to try it for the first time? Like what guidance would you give somebody? Well, first of all, I explain to them what the product is, like such as the silver bullet and what the purpose of it is. And a lot of people do feel shame, which is why they haven't tried it in the first place. Or they feel, oh, I don't need one. I'm fine with my man. And it's not about really being fine with your man. It's about variety. It's about trying something different. It's about having fun. Sex is supposed to be fun. What? No way. I thought it was just for for your partner and you just lay there and, you know, like that's sex, right? (laughs) For some people, unfortunately, that is the way it is. No, I know. know, Yeah, I I try to get people to, um, first of all, explain what it is, what the purpose is, and how to use it. Because some people really don't know and there's nothing wrong with not knowing as long as you're open to the knowledge of learning. You know, I really appreciate you you put it out there as novelty, actually, because, you know, I'd say that's a lot of what couples need to kind of, um, you know, freshen up. Everybody talks, usually when they'll come into my office, because I'm a sex therapist too, right? Um, Although I know we're different, different titles, definitely. But um, 
anyhow, like what I'll have happen is, um, you know, people are bored. They're getting into this routine in their sex life and, and they want to shake it up. And everybody goes to one thing. It's, it's new positions. That's the way we're going to shake it up. And while that is one right. way to shake it up, don't get me wrong. There's so much out there. And, and uh, the adult so sex much. toys are great ways to just feel a little bit of that novelty and excitement. And it's a way kind of to get some of that desire back in because you're doing something new and a little taboo, you know? I agree. And even something simple just as a blindfold yeah. to put on. Not even even if you didn't want to get to the toy. They have blindfolds, they have lotions, they have clip creams, they have edible creams, they have edible lotions, warming lotions. I mean there's so many different things. They have candles that you can pour that it's a celulac so it doesn't burn the skin. You can use it as a massage oil. Oh, something that you can find. You know, something that you can find. I mean, which I'm sure you know, 75% of women or so cannot have an orgasm through intercourse alone. And so the people that have never used toys, a lot of times I get people that come in and say they have no interest in sex, they have no desire. Well, they've never had an orgasm. They don't touch themselves because they're uncomfortable with masturbation Mm -hmm. and yet never used a toy. So I try to say, well, if you're uncomfortable touching yourself, why don't you try with a toy? Because if... There's nothing wrong with using a toy to help you in the bedroom. It's not like your partner is failing. It's just some women need a little extra help. How do you convince the guys? Because I've on my side, I've definitely seen guys feel very intimidated by it. So what are what are ways you help them kind of come around to the toy? (laughs) I think the first thing that I tell them is that 75% of women (laughs) cannot have an orgasm through intercourse. And they're shocked to hear that. Um, and so once they kind of know the statistics and understand how the body works, I have a vagina pillow and I try to explain to them, I show them on this pillow exactly how the woman, you, most of the women need to have clitoral stimulation in order to have that orgasm. So I try to maybe teach them other ways to hit the clitoris, maybe somehow how they move, but helping them understand and educating them so they're not feeling like they're doing something wrong is is really helpful for them because they think that every woman should be able to have an orgasm through sex and they don't well it's because porn kind of shows it that way i think you know um but i want to (laughs) actually up your statistic um if you haven't read the book it's becoming clitorate but actually it's she put it as high as actually 97 percent um because i would believe it because a lot of people fake and they don't tell you well and what what is going on is even the women who are having um orgasms during sex are just stimulating the clitoris while doing the clitoris. it. Yeah, there's Correct. only 3% that can only do it with penis and vagina intercourse. And the only reason that they can is because their clitoris is closer to the opening of the vagina. <laughs> and so really, it's, it's you know, every woman. It is, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's true. I mean, you know, when you're having the clitoral sensation and it's hitting the G spot at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's how most of the women, when they do have inner, when they do have orgasms through sex, you're correct. A lot of them are getting the clitoris hit. Yeah. So. Well, but I, I, I do think with the vagina pillow, how to hit it better. Yeah, and I do think because most people are kind of learning through porn these days, you know, it really is more for male pleasure, not as much for female pleasure. So it makes it harder. It makes it harder for people to believe it, really. They're like, no, there's something wrong with women. You should have orgasms this way. So when you show them on the pillow, are they a little bit more open to trying? They are. They're understanding a little bit more, especially when you tell them the statistics. And, you know, what what happens a lot of times is they'll say, oh, well, my previous 
you know, all my previous girlfriends have had uh, orgasms through intercourse. I said, well, either they're faking it, <laughs> or you might have just been really lucky and had a couple of girls that really have been able to get clitoris. When they you know, tell you that some of their past girlfriends, oh, well, I've had three or four past girlfriends and all of them were able to have an orgasm through intercourse. I don't understand why she can't, like, you know, their current one. So I say either they've been faking it or they just got, you know, really lucky to have three women that have been able to do that because the likelihood is is slim. So, well, and just you know, to your point, I think women feel kind of pressure to, to look like they're orgasming or to orgasm. So if they don't, then, then they don't want to put it out there. Like I've worked with women who haven't orgasmed, but they've been faking with their partner for like ever. And then they're coming in because they're like, I really want to actually orgasm this time. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, no, I do. I get that often. People come in and they say that they don't orgasm, but their partner thinks that they do. And so now that they really want to enjoy sex again, because it's been so many years that they've just been faking it, they don't really know how to tell their partner that they're not having it. So I just try to talk them through and just say, listen, everybody's body changes. You've just expressed that your body's changing. It's not as easy and you need to work and try something different. Absolutely. So if you're open to it, I'd like to transition to your book, you know, your, your book that you recently published, uh-huh. Confessions and Lessons of a Sexpert, The Ultimate Guide to Intimacy and Better Sex. So tell me a little bit about what you cover in the book. The book is basically, it's a very easy read, and I, I wrote it just to kind of give an introduction to intimacy, a start where people can kind of get some fresh ideas as to what can be done to help spice things up a little bit. Also, some of the subject has to be about being true to you and to yourself and who you are and and not what people want you to be. And just being comfortable with yourself and your own skin, just how to feel good about yourself sexually as a human being for yourself first, not even with a partner, but for yourself, meaning self-masturbation, self-care, self-love, um, And then also, I wanted people to be able to understand where I'm coming from and how I've been able to help others is by sharing my own personal stories. And um, one of my specialties, besides working with couples regarding intimacy, is working with women uh, with painful sex, low libido, um, you know, any, any concern that a woman has. But I went through quite a few years of painful sex. And so... I've not only had the background of the medical degree, but I also have the personal background of what I've been through and the sexual education that I've gone through as well. Can I ask a little bit about that personal experience? Because, I mean, many women would like to hear about that. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the things that I do share in the book as an introduction and what made me so passionate in helping women. Um, I had what they call vulvodynia, which is painful sex. And it started for me after the birth of my daughter. And what did it, is it okay if I ask, like, what did it feel like? How did you, you know, like, was it burning? Was it like muscular pain? Did it tighten up? Because people, you know, not everybody knows even what vulvodynia is. Right. It's basically, I could not have sex. It was like someone took a razor blade and poured alcohol on top of it. It was excruciating. That sounds terrible. And yeah, so as a wife, as a mother, as a woman who is extremely sexual as a sexologist, the last thing you want to do is not be able to have sex. So I went from doctor to doctor to doctor. I spoke with 42 doctors and actually saw nine and finally found somebody that was able to help. And they realized that I had 
vestibulitis, vulvar vestibulitis, and that is where the nerve endings down there um, were overfiring and were too sensitive. And because it was mostly on touch and not just a 24-7 burn, it was mostly touching and if certain things irritated that area like underwear or um, chemicals as far as clothing, uh, I was I had to actually have surgery to remove the top layer of the vestibule. Oh, wow. So why did it take so many doctors? Because I I know there are people who struggle with this. So like, why 40-something doctors? Because doctors want to tell you, and you can talk to any woman that's been dealing with this for years, doctors want to say it's all in your head. All you need to do is have a drink and relax. Okay. Um, I can't tell you how many doctors said, you're fine, I don't see anything wrong, you just need to relax, you need to go to physical therapy. You know, I'm like, well, you can't even touch me, how am I going to go to physical therapy for this? I see, you know, so this is um, a situation where even with pelvic floor physical therapy, that wouldn't necessarily help. No, because mine was provoked vulvodynia, vestibulitis. Mine was mostly on touch. So okay. because of that, <laughs> excuse me. Because of that, I was a prime candidate for the surgery. So I think after calling all these doctors, I tried to find somebody who specialized in vulvodynia and vestibulitis, and I just kept on getting the runaround, and I wound up going, like I said, into nine doctors, and they were I tried injections, I tried creams, I tried everything, and they told me, you look fine, there's nothing wrong with you. But it was still burning and hurting so bad. (laughs) Yeah, it was excruciating. And I said to them, I said, for somebody who has been extremely sexual their whole life to tell me I need to relax to have sex, I don't think so, you know. Yeah, you know you know the wrong. basics. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so how did, exactly. how did so that... Finally, the last doctor just pretty much did what they call a Q-tip test. Well, all he did was touch me with a Q-tip. I jumped through the roof. He said, okay, you have vulvar vestibulitis, you need surgery. That was it. It was literally 30 seconds in the office. And he told me what was wrong. Did the surgery help? Surgery helped me 100%. Okay. Huh. Yeah. So I'm curious, how did that impact? But at least, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. I was curious, how did that impact your relationship? Is it okay to ask about that? Yeah. And you know what? For six years of going through this, it made it very, very difficult to obviously have intimacy. And that was another thing. I actually went to my own sex therapist at that time to try to figure out how to live in a sexless, meaning no intercourse relationship and still be happy when that's kind of how I, um, that was me. I was, you know, Stacy sex, sexuality. That, that's how I was. That's how you more, relate. You know? <laughs> right. So I needed to learn how to have intimacy in a relationship without having sex. And it was very difficult and it did put a very big break in my relationship. My, ex-husband now uh we are divorced but we did stick together for a very very long time and we had a good relationship but we lacked the intimacy for so many years it was just too difficult to build it back it can be really hard the longer it you know the longer you are sexless i'm curious outside of your personal even in clinical experience have you had any um success in bringing people back together because I, I've also seen that be kind of difficult. The longer people are not sexual, the harder it is to get them kind of restarting that. I wonder what your um, perspectives are on that. I agree. I think that like in my situation, it was six years, mm-hmm. um, you know, but every single time I went to the doctor, we had to try 
to have sex because I would get something new to say, let's see if this works, let's see if this works. So not only was it, you know, not really having sex, but each time I tried to do it was torture. So mentally it put a big toll on my relationship. And I think that because it was so many years, it did cause that damage. So what I see in my practice is that, you know, usually if you have it a year, year and a half, I think that's when I've been able to see people make those changes because sometimes you have a baby or sometimes things go a little bit and you're refocused on a new job or a loss of a job or a death of a member of the family. But once you start getting to two, three years of no intimacy and no sex, you know, sexless marriage, I find that majority of the people hitting that three to three year mark, the likelihood of divorce is like probably 90%. Interesting. So um, just out of just kind of a, the summing that up, it sounds like you were experiencing grief essentially every time, um, every time you'd go through this process, like you get a little hope, maybe this will work. And then when it doesn't work, it's like this grief and a loss of like, Oh, again, it's not working. Um, massive depression. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people that have, yeah. A lot of people that have the painful sex go through because their partners can't understand, you know, it's, I don't want to say funny, but there's a saying that says, you know, when you ask a woman, what is a bad sexual experience? She says, when I have pain. When you ask yeah. a man what a bad sexual experience is, is when they don't have an orgasm. Yeah, there's a big so gap. <laughs> 99% of the time, you will not hear a man say anything about pain. Women, majority of the women who have a bad sexual experience is because they're having pain. Hmm. Why do you think that is? I just think that... Um, there's a lot of, first of all, women having sex when they're not ready physically okay. as well as emotionally, and they just do it just to do it. It's obligatory, which is what I try to help people with to be able to, especially with the book, is to try to learn how to enjoy sex again and, and what it should be about, fun. Um, and I think that a lot of times women don't say when they're not, they're afraid to ask to use lube or the doctors are not being able to find exactly what's going on with them. A lot of women are undiagnosed, uh, feel shame. You know, it's not easy with the, you know, painful sex and all that. So, you know, through the book, I try to give ideas of how to be intimate without the focus being on having intercourse, focusing on pleasure versus performance. Okay. Which I'm sure you, you know, work with all the time too. Sure, I do, definitely. Um, and I'm also curious so for anybody who's listening who want, who's having this pain problem, what doctors should they look for? Because, I mean, I think a lot of women struggle with that. Like, who do I go to? Who can help me? So you've already been on this journey. Um, what journey right. should we send our clients on to find that right doctor? Well, I think that they need a couple of people. They need someone like you or I to be able to have the emotional, um, keep that connection with your partner while going through the process because it is a very draining, emotionally, dra emotionally draining process. So it's important to find someone to talk to that you can trust that either has gone through it or understands it or specializes in it, as well as finding an OBGYN or an oncologist or someone that deals with the female body and asking, do you specialize in vulvodynia or, or vestibulitis? And so that way you know you're getting the proper uh, treatment. And what they'll do is as they go through it, they may wind up saying, you know, you may have some nerve issues. You're going to need to see a um, neurologist. Uh, some people have neuropathy and, and sensitive issues that they need to go see a few different doctors. 
Okay, yeah. so maybe so, a few different practitioners so they can really get to the bottom of things. Right. The primaries, honestly, I mean, I went to two or three different primaries, and those are the ones that two of them told me it was in my head, I need to just relax, and I had to do all the research on my own. But once you find a GYN that is, you know, understanding about what vulvodynia is, then you can hopefully find the next route to move forward. Okay. You know, since your book's all about confessions, I'm curious if you have any good confessions you wanted to share. (laughs) (laughs) Well, confessions and lessons. My confessions are not only necessarily my confessions, but some of, you know, my clients, obviously, names withheld, um, just about some of their journeys and how the coaching process helped them and how being intimate and finding different ways was able to help them. But one of the other things uh, that I have as my specialty is um, the LGBT community. Okay. And I'm very passionate about them. And it's not necessarily a confession, but I am part of that community. I'm considered pansexual. And Why don't you that describe that so that people listening yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Someone who is pansexual is someone who can be attracted to anybody, no matter what gender, um, uh, male, female, transgender, bigender, agender, uh, whatever, just the person for being who they are. Okay. Um, and so that is one of the things that I am proud of because I'm able to help others that are going through it and being able to be honest with myself and who I am because if I'm not able to do that and I'm sitting here trying to teach other people, um, that's something that I'm proud of. And a lot of people would be, you know, oh, God, I, I can't believe you're telling people. But you know what? That's who I am, and I'm proud of it. I'm in a, you know, heterosexual relationship, and I will be in this relationship for the rest of my life. But I've been in other types of relationships before, and I just think that it's something that people, you know, if I'm not able to be honest, then they might not feel comfortable being honest. I'm curious, um, have you, like this, it's a terrible question, but it's, it's meant to go somewhere, obviously, but I'm curious, have you always kind of seen yourself as pansexual or is that something you came into as you, um, grew up or accepted yourself a little more? I'm just curious, like, or did you always know that you were just kind of really open and you could love who you could love? (laughs) Right. I kind of felt that way for years since I can remember, but it wasn't until I was in college that I realized because pansexuality is a little bit more of a newer name, I guess you could say, because people say, well, what's the difference between bisexuality versus pansexuality? Well, bisexuality doesn't really include transgender um, people who are agender or, you know, um, binary, you know, don't follow the the binary system and whatever. So um, I think that when I was in college, that's kind of when it started for me, and it just kind of grew to being like, oh, yeah, I could totally be attracted to that person and then, you know, or this person or that person. Sexuality is fluid. So I don't really know if maybe when I was in high school, I know I was boy crazy. I was totally boy crazy in high school. Um, but at that age, you don't necessarily know exactly what you are as far as what the word is. I always knew that I can appreciate people for who they were but I didn't really know what the words were. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Well, and I don't think the term pansexual came out until maybe in the last right, 10 or 20 new. years. So that might be part right. of it too. Like, what am I? I just like people. <laughs> right, exactly. That's kind of the way I was, but I was never really um, attracted to 
the other to um, anybody else until I got into college, and that's when I realized, oh, okay, this is cool, <laughs> you know. Okay. So, well, so I guess that's kind of one of my so-called confessions. <laughs> what are some of the um, uh, ways that you try to help people in the LGBT? QIA plus or QIQ plus community. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I'm passionate about is allowing people to feel like they have a safe space to be who they are. Um, A lot of them are not accepted by their families or the community. So it gives them a space to understand who they are, who they want to be. And um, I do have a lot of connections here with people that are in the community to be able to find a place for them to feel safe and to have support. And it's just, you know, like I said, being part of the community myself, I understand where they're coming from. And I want to help them be proud of who they are. I see. So you do that in your clinical work. um, Or do you do it in other ways too? Well, mostly in my clinical work, but when they have like the pride parades and they have different types of things regarding transgender, um, seminars and things like that I'm always going out I'm always meeting people and I'm always trying to connect and uh, you know put it out there I have a few Facebook pages that I'm on that I will always offer support I'm on a few of the pain uh, whatever pain Facebook pages that they have for pelvic pain I'm always out there offering my free advice or or things that I can offer to help like which lube might be better and so I'm always out there trying to help others, birth controls, all this kind of stuff. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Um, I'm So we're kind of towards the end of the uh, podcast. So um, is there any final thing, like if anybody wanted to uh, reach out to you, if they wanted to see you, how, could, how can our listeners find you? I'm on the website for uh, drstacy.org, and it's D-R-S-T-A-C-Y.org. If people want to get a free download of my book, they can get it at drstacybook.com. They can also find it on Amazon, but there is a free download on the, you know, some people like paperback versus uh, computer. And I do have an office in Green Acres right off of Lake Worth Road, and if people are not local... I do the coaching services online or through Skype or Zoom for people that like to see someone face-to-face. So you can, don't have to be local to see me. You're and in I Florida, right? Free. You're in Florida? I'm in Florida. Okay. Yes, <laughs> Just making sure because I'm in St. Louis. <laughs> Other people are like, where is that place? <laughs> yeah, where's Lake Worth Road? It's South Florida. Okay. It's in Lake Worth, um, Boynton Beach, Delray, Boca, that kind of area. And anyone can reach me anywhere. I do offer a free 15-minute consultation to make sure that we are the right fit and uh, that you're comfortable speaking with me. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And then of course, I'm Angela Skirtu. I have my books out right now, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity and Premarital Counseling, A Guide for Clinician. This has been the About Sex Podcast, and we've been talking with Dr. Stacy Friedman. And be sure to add us on Facebook, review us on iTunes, and send us your questions to aboutsexpodcast at gmail.com. And we may just answer them on the air. I'm Angela Skirtu. Stay kinky, St. Louis.